Which, like, actually, you kind of need holy socks for a festival. I think, I think you do, yeah, because it does get quite steamy in the um, in the screens. And yeah. That kind of stuff. It's just a lot of lot of hot bodies on in one space. You need you need your toes to breathe. You don't want to be getting athletes for festivals or anything like that. I think most of the cinemas here are like really good. Like, like you know, the light is kind of soulless, but the screen's fantastic. I have huge. dozed off a couple of times in the light because of the um, the 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 the, 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 the giant seats. seats. <laughs> the lie down in. <laughs> the, the fucking beds that they put in. <laughs> yeah, because it's like I, I was here, I was talking to someone about it yesterday with like. This, you, you go into the screens and they're like freaking huge. Like some of the films that I've seen, it's like they didn't submit a high res quality enough version of their films <laughs> for it to look good on the screen. So you just got like these like pixelated messes, but it's like they're not actually capacity wise much bigger than the screens at the showroom because like yeah, because no, the, the freaking space between all this. I love how they like, blown up those images though. Like uh, what was the one I saw yesterday? Um, while we're still here, mm. that was like all shot on iPhone yeah, and yeah. just on this massive screen. <laughs> It kind of looks bad, but I sort of like the glitchiness of that. That's like the fair. kind of way That's that fair. drained. I, don't know. I think the one I saw, because I saw this film, Japanese one, Nori, that was sort of like artfully shot in like grayscale and like meant to be sort of like really soulful and um, and sort of like out in nature in like the Japanese countryside and that kind of thing. And yeah, the pixels just don't do it any favours because you've got all these like swaying branches and like sweeping vistas and it's just... Yeah, it just looks like someone's gone on Photoshop and like taken both corners and like, stretched it outwards or something like that. But yeah, I don't know. But they are fucking comfy, and I've nearly fallen asleep in two or three films because <laughs> of it. Welcome to Judge Movie. I'm uh, Ben Flanagan. Um, uh, I'm joined by returning guest. Hello, Reese. I'm Reese Handley. Um, I am a freelance film critic, and uh, also I've been uh, Ben's bed buddy for the whole weekend. <laughs> yeah, we are in Ground Zero right now in Sheffield. <laughs> it's a far cry from the luxury of uh, Berlin the last time that you were on. When we were in like the ratty hostel, <laughs> drinking ratty two hostel. euro on Berliner Kindle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's and, and now we're we're in in the north. Uh, you're you're from the north, which yeah, makes yeah, you yeah. perfectly poised to kind of talk about. Uh, to, talk <laughs> to talk about, about. I can't talk on the north you can't talk on the north well, what's your impressions of, of, of this weekend Sheffield is a really awesome city mm. uh, you know it's 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 so compact and there's tons of great cinemas here mm. uh, and everyone's very friendly and it's so cheap to get pints and food so that £1.50 for a Carlsberg you can't really, when you're on a budget yeah. you can't really complain about that kind of it stuff, really yeah. is the perfect kind of location yeah. for a film festival mm. um, and Sheffield Dockfest is is just probably the premier British documentary festival. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's got it's it's got such a an international standing as well. Like you see so many people coming from all over, but you you, you also get the sense that it's like pretty much everyone that I've recognised has been someone that I know from London, and it is like everyone's on a working holiday away from the city as well. But it's like, that's definitely part. Of but it, it is yeah. nice to see the city light up because Sheffield just always embraces stuff like this. It's such a since like since the eighties when obviously like the steelworks started shutting down and that kind of thing, and it's like it kind of lost its sort of sense of identity there, like a lot of northern cities and towns did and it's like Sheffield did really well to sort of rally around its cultural scene and to like really sort of uh, strengthen that and so it's now got such a thriving like art scene it's got so, so much so many cool things happening and like loads of good music comes from here and like and then and then like all the cinemas like you've got the showroom which is just like a fucking icon of um of like independent cinema is still completely independent and is like the heart of this festival as well which is such an awesome yeah, thing yeah it's a great space for that and and I think even though um 
it is a lot of, you know, London people or people from the south <laughs> moving here, coming here for the weekend. Uh, the Sheffield people that I talk to don't seem to be, uh, like, resentful of that at all. No, Everyone's no. asking us, like, how's the festival and, like, just... Drunk fresh is enough licences and that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, it, it, I think it, it, kind of, it seems to give back enough to the city. Like, there's a lot of free activities, oh, free yeah, movies. Yeah, yeah. Um, they sell a lot of tickets outside of the passes. They're always packed out with, like, public tickets, absolutely. Yeah. Like, it's, they, you, it's one of those. And I think, like... Because it, it uh, the festivals that we tend to go to always have like your, your press screenings are completely separate from your public ones, and you do. I prefer it like this, I, where you have to catch say. the yeah. on the schedule. You feel like you're kind of that feels like a festival more. Yeah, because me. that that means that you're actually capturing sort of the vibe. You're getting a read of what films are going down well and which yeah. ones aren't, because you're not just sat among critics who are sort of like going in with their analytical hats on like you're going in with people who are just there to watch a good documentary and if it sort of works for them then the and energy in the room is there are so many types of movies and a, a lot of you know huge clashes you've normally yeah. got sort of seven or eight movies on at one time so you have to do the work mm. and you have to talk to people and work out like what's good and what's, yeah, 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 yeah. what's actually worth like trying to catch later on mm. if you miss something um, which is different to a lot of other festivals where you kind of you know at London Film Festival that like the favourite and can you ever forgive me are yeah. going to be the good film that you need to catch I, th I think that's so. the thing with it being so specialised as well because as much as like a lot of these films have had a showing elsewhere at like the disparate festivals like you, ch you caught Apollo 11 at like Sundance and that yeah. kind of thing but for the most part it's like even even when these films have been getting about like they're usually like a minor concern at like feature film festivals where they're among all the big sort of fiction stuff so it is good to see like to see them all come to the fore and to compete not not necessarily compete against each other but sort of rub up against each other and like and you do you like you literally can just walk down the street in Sheffield and hear people chattering about what they saw and they don't necessarily need to have a big orange badge on them or anything like that it's like it is uh, Sheffield's always such an open city to like people from outside of it which has always been like really key to its identity I think especially sort of like again sort of post-industrial and that kind of thing it's like it really sort of has made an effort to not close itself off and it does that with Docfest like I, I, I lived here for three years when I was at university and it's like even though I never actually did the festival back then it was just like it does just light up and it just energises the city so much and you just see um you just see so many people from so many sort of places that have just found their way to, to Sheffield which is <laughs> to watch some documentaries which is just like such an awesome thing to think when it's like when, you, when you're from around here and it's like who the fuck would come up north to like do anything yeah. who's down in London to see a city like this explode like this over freaking documentary cinema is like such I, a cool thing I do wonder how different that experience is for people that are more closely tuned into the documentary landscape mm. like I think my main exposure is from coming here mm. and then uh, you know you know the, the the documentaries that get a general release yeah, and yeah, get talked yeah. about um, in like, the mainstream press. Mm. So I wonder, like, uh, I'm trying to think of a, a film like Hey Bro that I saw yesterday or, or on on Friday on the off charts. Yeah. Like, how well known was that by a lot of people going in? How did that's did the thing? I think you because you picked it up more as a curio than anything, didn't you? And it's like, yeah, I'm I'm mostly going on. Does the subject seem to in interest me? Yeah, Sometimes yeah, yeah. I recognise the filmmakers. I think I think that's good because like I other than say Maradona, which is obviously sort of uh, coming from from quite a sort of famous background and that kind of thing, and obviously that's the uh, the big blockbuster opening thing. There haven't been loads where I've 
<clears throat> been like, holy shit, it's that director or it's that that this or that that. You just read what it's about, and then sort of like the film, the filmmaking side of it is what will come in your sort of later judgment of it once you've seen it. You just go yeah. and going like, that looks like some stuff that I want to learn about. Mm-hmm. So let, let's go give it a go. Like I did that yesterday. I saw this really cool film called uh, The Sound Is Innocent, which is like probably not going to play anywhere outside of like its little festival circuit. It's going to go to like probably some of the more obscure, smaller sort of like European art festivals. It's about like. Um, homemade electronic music instruments and that kind of stuff and it's just about the nerds who take circuit boards and transistors and shit and just sort of start like swinging them around to make weird atonal noises and you basically just like sit there and have like this weird noise wash over you while these like German dudes are explaining how homemade synthesizers work and it's like you you would not sort of see that on another festival schedule you wouldn't see that on general release and be like oh yeah that's the kind of stuff I want to go to but when you're in the midst of dark fest you're like I'm just here learning loads of shit. Let's learn yeah. about this weird thing as well. Like it's such a such an interesting way to put things together because like yeah, it's not something that someone's going to be like lazing up like un- other than nerds like me with that kind of, with that specific kind of thing. It's like unless it's like no one's going to just pick it up on Netflix and give it a go or anything like that. Like, and, and there's definitely times that uh, you can kind of get yourself in a rut with like too yeah. much heavy subject matter in a row. Mm-hmm. Um, I watched a four hour Watergate. <laughs> and then afterwards, I think I was supposed to go and see for Sama, but that was no. such another heavy subject that I just yeah. thought, no, you know what? I'm just going to see this like random found footage documentary yeah. that's on instead and kind of zone out to that. Well, and it yeah, co- totally thing, yeah. creates a kind of space where you can do that. Mm. And, and you really... saw me after for Sama as well. It is like, it's incredible, but it is so draining and so harrowing to watch. Yeah. The... So do you want to talk a bit about that? Yeah, I, I guess I can do. Yeah. So it's, it's it's just absolutely amazing it's um so channel four has sort of like put the effort into making sure that this documentary made it to screens it's already i think it's done well at i feel like it showed at south by southwest and won some awards there it won the the top documentary prize at can and now it's sort of like other than maradona as the opening night film this is probably like one the of headline. the big headliners yeah. of of the festival like the screening i was in was absolutely packed um and so it's about this woman who uh, she when she was 18 she moved to aleppo in syria to go to university and then obviously and that's about 10 years ago i think so she's about 28 now so um over the time that she was there obviously all the conflict starts and it's like um everything with assad and 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 the, and the uprisings and then you've got um the bombings and, and sort of like the siege of aleppo and that kind of thing and she sort of lives in the middle of this and she just has a video camera because I, I it doesn't go into it too much but i feel like she was like studying journalism and she was sort of training to be a journalist beforehand and so she's already got this video camera and she's just filming her mates and stuff and it just obviously like snowballs into like her filming all of the atrocities that are sort of like brought down on this city of like, and obviously sort of like the general sort of international propaganda put out by say Russia, who are like in charge of most of the fighter planes that fly overhead are sort of saying Syria is full of terrorists and we need to bomb it to rout them out. And it's like, it's just fucking normal people on the ground who are getting, yeah. who are getting the shit bombed out of them. And she, um, her husband works at one of like the sort of homespun war hospitals that springs up. There's about 20 of them and they work in one where they're trying to like do their best to not let on the it's a hospital because it becomes a target the second it does. Um, and so they're constantly living under fear of being bombed. And then she has this baby, Sama, of the title for Sama. Um, and they sort of make this decision that rather than escaping for her sake, they're going to sort of stay and try and like uh, resist sort of the invading forces and keep their home and and there's and there's a lot of families there where it's really sort of 
really gut-wrenching to watch that they're making this decision on the spot to be like we have children but we need to set the example that like you don't give up you don't run away when there's other people that need your help because there's people who for whatever reason can't leave Aleppo so the people that can sort of have this decision to either look after yourself and yours and run away or stay and you see like some of the stuff that you see is some really horrific sort of imagery there's some really sort of powerful stuff that will stay with me with like uh, just horrible things happening to children and sort of dead bodies sort of strewn through this hospital hallway and, all yeah. and like lots of like really harrowing stuff but it's just the filmmaker her sort of ability to sort of hold the camera and be like even though this is something that's happening to her very personally she maintains sort of like her journalism and not necessarily her distance but like that observation like she doesn't blink she doesn't pull the camera away um and so it just really it's it's sort of like i think it's intended as a kind of wake-up call for people in the west who have sort of they think of Syria and sort of things that happen in the middle east in the abstract and it's not something that has any sort of real world impact and you hear about Trump ordering drone strikes or whatever and you're just like oh drone strikes that's just an idea that, that happens and to see sort of the actual physical impact and obviously there's been other docs about it before but I think the fact it makes it such a personal story as well about this mother and and wife who is sort of like doing her best for her family while also trying to sort of resist this horrible thing it's just absolutely staggering yeah yeah it sounds like that that personal aspect is kind of what elevates it yeah um as opposed to a lot of other sort of journalism kind of yeah. uh entries mm. into into the kind of genre like um yesterday or, or friday again we both saw um one child policy yes one child nation one sorry child nation. about the one child policy <laughs> and i felt like that or similarly tried to uh toe the line between kind of personal essay yeah. personal exploration and a wider overview of the issue mm. uh but to me didn't commit to one or the other and so it kind of that, that's down. where it falls down because I think because of that it can't sort of make its message as clear as it was sort of hoping to because then you get a lot of these sort of confused statements that some of them ring as like anti-abortionist yeah. and some of them ring as like um, sort of like trying to sort of campaign for personal autonomy and then there's like there's, the, there's that whole sense in One Child Nation of where all of her interviews are with they're either with members of her family or people that her family know or like a few officials from their village and that kind of thing but you don't really go above like the people that like people in a in a village would see face to face and that kind of thing so there's no sort of uh reconciling with the state no it, the it didn't it didn't do a kind of uh look of silence type no, uh real no. interrogation of yeah. um of the of a community uh, yeah uh, um so, but that was one thing that was there, and then there was this like investigative journalist side that was there with the yeah uh, with the, the American trying to, family trying yeah. to sort of track down all the adopted. And children. then there was yeah. a kind of potted history of the mm. of the thing itself, yeah. and then there was her own journey, and I I just felt like it it never quite struck a balance, and no. look, I think it. It, it's it's effective in that it gives you a lot of this information, but as a yeah, kind of yeah, yeah. as a I don't know so in terms of film, a film form, yeah, yeah, yeah it, it yeah. just fell down for me. No, I, I I do agree with that because it does sort of like it has some quite sort of powerful elements to it, but it is a stream of information at the end of the day, and it is it's like when the personal elements sort of come back in, you sort of realise that you're sort of watching two films with it, and it and because you're watching these two films, the, the the lines sort of get blurred in a way that means it's not coherent. It's just kind of a little bit. You sort of get this idea that like she's. She isn't quite, but she's almost villainizing like the parents that gave their kids away and the officials who took the orders from on high. And it never sort of confronts the fact that 
this is a policy that's come from the top and it's sort of yeah uh, it, it sort of looks at like the absurdity of it and obviously because now China's under a two-child policy and it's sort of doing this that stuff was quite well handled yeah the kind of ironies of, of it's the, it's the, the cyclical hypocrisy. thing it's the uh yeah. um, the what do you call it Wait, I can't remember what the fucking 1984 term would be but it is that whole sort of like erasing history and it's sort of doing this thing where it's almost trying to erase the memory of the one child policy and the horrible mm. stuff that happened under that and make it seem like the two child one was sort of always the logical thing to do like um, well she kept saying talking about that and yeah. saying oh yeah the, the one child policy has been erased but mm. she didn't talk to any kids or anyone that no. said that they didn't know yeah. about it which kind of confused me maybe that's from my point of ignorance but, but I think I just it, felt like that information wasn't I, I get that but I do I do think that is sort of like a result of the fact that she pulls herself in so many different directions with it and they're all sort of really interesting threads but you know when you've got like a an hour 45 two hours to make a film there's only so much you can actually get across so yeah. I like maybe she overstretched herself and maybe it would have served better as like a, a mini series or something like that like to, to dig yeah, into each sure. aspect of it but yeah as a single film I think her scope was maybe a little bit too wide, whereas For Sama is so effective because it narrows itself down to one personal journey that then, as a result of being part of this wider context, you get the feel for the wider context because of the the personal journey, which is probably how that this one could have been more effective if that was the route it wanted to pick. But I think th- I think it's it's also something to say about like it's produced by Amazon, so it's like an American produced. It's quite an American style documentary. Definitely, but it's showing on BBC in yeah. a couple of months. Is it? So okay. yeah, I, both of these movies are going to be accessible to everyone because yeah. Force Arm is going to be on Channel Four. Do yeah. you know when that's autumn? They said autumn. The, yeah, the I think that was so yeah. vague kind of yeah. Yeah, but you can keep your eyes out for both because they mm. will be around so uh we'll be back talking about diego maradona in a second but i also got a chance to chat with uh a critic jack king uh so let's hear what he has to say about sheffield dog first absolutely so uh i'm jack king i'm a very very new freelance journalist been working in the film industry for about two years and exhibitor a bit of programming stuff like that um but now i've kind of meandered my way into journalism because I'm really into writing and uh, been writing for about three months now and yeah just just uh, traded the beautiful sun and gorgeous movies of the French Riviera for Sheffield in the last two weeks so yeah but I am not a I'm not so attuned to the documentary form uh, I know of it and I do like I do enjoy documentaries but I think they've kind of been tainted as of recent by Netflix releases and things like that. Um, so I've kind of come to Sheffield to kind of challenge my preconceived ideas of what a documentary is and definitely interesting. Yeah. So sorry. it's interesting that uh, Netflix have sponsored a whole uh, cinema yeah. here and yeah, they're, exactly. they're definitely kind of trying to uh, root themselves as a essential part of the documentary landscape. Yeah, I think that's 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 certainly in that wider conversation there's something that surprised me a bit about DocFest like you've got the presence of the behemoths like Netflix and, and you know the, the British Arts Council and stuff um, but I, I was quite um, surprised that like uh, distributors like Dogworth don't have much of a presence you've, I mean you've got they've got a lot of their films though got a lot of their films here but like in terms of I was looking at like the, the delegate petitions and stuff um, in the uh, the marketplace guide. So you have like the American and stuff like that. Like that's a distributor, I think. Um, uh, Chicken and Egg Films, I think, is a, is a distribution platform. Although I might be totally mistaken. And like for England, it's not 
Dogworth or something like that. It's it's the uh, it's the alternate. Uh, I think it's uh, it's something to do with the British Arts Council. Would you say you've seen anything that has actually kind of challenged your preconceived notions of what the documentary is, or what the kind of corner that you think that Netflix might be pushing it into? Uh, absolutely. Um, so the first film I saw, we saw in the same screening was "Don't Be a Dick About It." Yeah. Um, which is this incredible, very candid, fly on the wall look into the relationship of two brothers. One is just a kind of like a young kid who loves football, has this intense phobia of dogs, um, but has this loving relationship with his brother who you know happens to be autistic. Um, and it's just, it's just, it, it, in a lot of ways, it kind of reminded me of Grey Gardens, in the kind of that kind of very. Uh, dislocated look and very like non-penetrative look um, and compassionate look and like just this just like very kind of wholesome but also very conflictual relationship um, and 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 yeah I mean it's that there are parts of it that are like a little bit more dubious I guess where it's obviously like a it's 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 a very traditional family structure that the film's looking at and examining um, it's they're, they're obviously a, a, a pair of, of, of subjects who, who've never really wanted for anything. But it doesn't no. hold the film back. Like, no, because it's not an issue movie. It's not about no, exactly. uh, It's not about struggles. It's actually about how people can just live. And I think yeah. that, in a way, the autism angle of it is secondary to mm. just watching these interactions. And uh, I mean, the, the, your man, uh, Patrick is his name, is like obsessed with uh, Survivor. Yeah. And so there's a lot of scenes of him recreating Survivor, yeah, the TV yeah, show, yeah. and going through, reenacting that every single day. Um, and that's almost shot as though it's a TV show as well, yeah, which exactly. is really fun. But it's interesting you bring up um, Grey Gardens and the Maisels Brothers, because I think that was on my radar as well. This kind of where where they are, the documentarians who are related, they're the cousins of. of um, of these guys they've clearly got a close relationship but they don't intrude on the film too much they're not you don't really hear them talking they don't no. uh, there's no interview bits really um, it's just observational and I think it comes up with some amazing comic set pieces it's really one of the funniest documentaries I think I've ever seen yeah no absolutely uh, I mean I, I, I think in, in many ways it plays like a piece of narrative fiction because it feels not that it's pointed but in, in many ways it feels quite constructed I mean yeah, again so, this is a conversation we're having briefly away from the mic but um, you, you know like the, the scene you were evoking earlier where there, there's the shark tank and you can kind of tell where the camera is kind of moving in terms of place it is very constructed and very uh, you know they've deliberately uh, put together certain scenes and certain things have been set up as if a, a director would set up a, a you know like a, 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 a shot by shot scene um, but um, but but yeah, I think it works entirely to to its, to its benefit, and it's it's the fact that they step away and they just allow the the relationship to to to, to kind of show and to build and to develop. Um, well, that's the thing. Ultimately, even if yeah. even if there are bits that are constructed, I think the central relationship's still real. It's still shining a lot, and that's still every everything needs a kind of narrative construction to be a satisfying film. So this. Mm-hmm. Uh, angle of him getting over his fear of dogs yeah. is, is just a thing that the film hinges on it, yeah. you know they could have not shown that they could have shown some other pro- little problem that he had but they just use that that, that just, relationship is like the dramatic yeah, it's exactly. like the, the core of everything um, and, and uh, someone raised a question afterwards about because uh, you know there's a lot of people laughing in the in the audience it's probably it's probably a contender for the audience prize um, 
people were maybe criticising that in terms of is it laughing at these guys or is it with them? Um, which personally I didn't find. No, I'd agree. I, I'd agree. I, 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 I think the, the, the question she, she asked, and I'm, I don't want to paraphrase her, her line of questioning, but it was, it was something along the lines of, you know, when, when we're bringing uh, neurodiverse identities onto, onto camera and into documentaries and stuff, there is a fine line between laughing at and laughing with. Um, I think, it, but but the, as a filmmaker retorted, I think it's 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 really clear in the film. He he really enjoys himself and he finds himself very funny. Patrick's and a funny dude. Patrick yeah. is a funny guy, and that's the thing. It's it's not that we're laughing at him. We're, we're not objectifying him as much as we're. He's in. He is. We're enjoying his enjoyment. Yeah. I think, and and that's what's so key. I I there was. You know, it, it, I think you can sum up its approach to um, to his autism quite easily in the fact that like it's not mentioned until the last 10 minutes he's just presented as a character with these with these quirks and with these personality traits and then it's right at the end he says he's talking about his brother and his I think they're having a conversation of what they love about each other and it's quite yeah. a funny little sequence um, and uh, he says, oh, I love the fact that my brother really likes me even though I have autism or something along those lines. And that's the first time it's even refer- it's yeah. referred to and it's self-referential. Um, and, and look, I mean, I'm, I'm also very conscious of the fact that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not somebody who has any kind of uh, any, any condition. I'm not, I don't have autism and stuff like that, but I, so I can't directly empathise so I, I, I don't want to kind of like stand here and say you know it's, it's not objectifying this person but it never came into my mind watching the film and yeah. it, it's it, it didn't I never felt uncomfortable despite you kind of know what the subject is and you kind of know what it's what it's what it's very heavily suggesting um, it doesn't feel no it doesn't feel uncomfortable you, you just no. you just go go along with the enjoyment of the person because but the person I, enjoys I, themselves I, th- I think it's because every other documentary about autism about neurodiverse identities about things that people can't do mm-hmm. which this is a this is about just a guy that lives his life this is celebrating it's completely it's, it's yeah. totally celebrating his personality yeah um, and yeah it, like you said it doesn't treat it as a struggle it doesn't treat it as a as a hurdle it, it just it just it just exists um, and yeah, I, I thought it was, it was, totally it was great. Yeah, I think that's my favourite thing that I've seen. Um, this morning, we both sat through the four-hour, twenty-minute uh, Watergate documentary. What an absolute I mean, slog! Oh my lord! Um, I, mean, I mean, I say slog. I think we both agreed it was really fantastic. We very well put together. Very yeah. thorough. <laughs> I mean, that's one thing you could say. We both went in thinking it was a three-hour movie. I yeah. guess I'd read the schedule wrong. <laughs> it did. It did say on the schedule 180 minutes. It did. It was did like, it? Okay. Like, I checked over on Google and it said like 260. And I started cringing in the back of my head. Um, but no, it's. Um, I mean, the thing is, the Watergate scandal is something that's already, you know, it's, it's well approached. That there's a lot of material that already yeah. exists around it. So I think everybody already knows like the general idea. I think I, I had the post in my head for the entire thing. Um, I, Definitely, and I mean it covers the events of the post. It covers the events of the post. Um, and, but I think it's presented in such a, such an interesting way where it jumps between talking head segments to like these kind of these slightly hokey but still well well shot reenactments of the of the events based on the tapes that were recorded yeah. in the Oval Office. I wasn't so keen on those reenactments. Uh, they were kind of badly acted. I, I felt like they uh, were just blocked 
quite boring. It was just like yeah. two people stood there, uh, you know, with sort of dark lighting and ominous music in the background. That stuff didn't really work for me, other than situating the kind of context of the scenes around it, which I thought worked really well. I thought the, the yeah. use of archival footage was great, um, and the kind of way they just... You know, it's, it's like sitting and reading Wikipedia for four hours. Yeah, but yeah, I, I actually thought that when I was watching But myself. that's also fine to just... This is the document that you can learn it from. Yeah. And I think there's a wide enough range of sources. There's, uh, there's like a pro-Nixon biographer. There's an anti-Nixon biographer. Um, and so you, can, you, you have enough space to draw your own conclusions because it's so long. Yes. You're constantly battered by the length that they actually had to go to to get rid of Nixon. Yeah. And this kind of coda as well at the end of like, well, we couldn't even prosecute him. So what is the point of justice? What is justice? And none of it's pushed too much because they're just going through the story. But I think it cumulatively... Yeah, I, th- I think you touched on the, the kind of thing that really holds it up and upholds it as a, as a film that works over four hours is its seamlessness. It is totally seamless between, you know, it plays with a lot of different like uh, uh, conventions of like like the typical conventions of documentaries. So you've got you've got your talking head sequences, you've got your your kind of like uh, your slideshow sequences, and you've got. Um, and you've got the reenactments, but it all works together so well that um, you know you you it just yeah it's 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 very rare that a film that is that long really holds me in and maintains its grasp on my it justifies my, it ultimately my I think yeah, yeah absolutely so look I know you you've got to run you got another screening I do you have seahorse <laughs> <laughs> do you have one last uh, like recommendation um, or something you want to shout out before yeah I, I watched yesterday I really enjoyed Danny which was a film about a, a cancer patient basically in his last last days in 1993 1994 it's all basically entirely self-taped shot on VHS this guy had shot and the filmmaker who is his nephew had been handed down to him he got the videotapes together and edited it together um, I don't see it getting massive distribution. Maybe it'll go onto a VOD platform or something. But it was a great festival gem. If ever you can get the chance to see Danny, it's, it's, it's really really good. Awesome. Thanks. Well, thanks for joining us. Thank where you so can much where can people find you? Uh, so you can find me on Twitter at uh, at underscore J A R King. So Jar King. Um, or you can uh, just hit me up on Instagram, which is Jack A R King as well. So yeah. <laughs> Welcome back, Reese. Thank you very much, Ben. Thanks for having me again. <laughs> uh, so much time has passed since we last spoke. Um, a solid 30 seconds. A solid th- uh, so uh, we haven't seen many films here. We saw One Child Policy together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, we also saw the opening night movie, Diego Maradona. Maradona. Uh, Asif Kapadia's latest, which premiered at Cannes, mm. uh, opened here in the giant uh, city hall venue, which is probably the biggest screen I've ever seen a documentary. Fan- a fantastic sort of setting for it, yeah, because it's so so regal. It's such a, a fantastic old theatre. This cinema so, is so <laughs> regal. But it's, it's, it's fucking great. Like, I've, I've seen all sorts there, like, uh, in my time in and around Sheffield. Like, I saw Elvis Costello perform there. Right. And, like, you get a lot of sort of legacy acts and that kind of thing. The bootleg Beatles plays every single Christmas. <laughs> it's frigging sick. Um, but yeah, it was it was it was quite nice to be there watching this documentary, and, you, and it did sort of because I've not done and I, I, I guess we got a bit of a feeling of it when we were in Berlin, but I haven't really done like the big opening night ones at any of the big festivals. No, so yeah. it's really cool to be in that atmosphere and to see like we were just there in our in our fucking 
trainers and shabby jumpers and shit but there were people who were coming like dressed up and it was like a big it was deal. a strange like mix wasn't it of like yeah. people that literally just got off the bus and like <laughs> people in tuxedos exactly yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um but yeah so the movie itself though uh i really this, like the more i think on it the more that i really like it i had a great time with it yeah. i think it's it's a perfect like summer documentary mm. that's gonna play it's the kind of movie you can watch and then go on a night out i think for, yeah, <laughs> it's it is a pre-drinking job it's a pre-drinking do- it's the same as beats like, I think the great thing right. about Beats is okay. that's the new human traffic where people watch that movie and then feel like okay. they want to go out. Okay. And I think I think this was was doing the same thing. It's got this wall-to-wall, like, Todd Turgey. Um, yeah, it's very synth Beats. Synth. Like, it, from the very start, it just sort of kicks in with, like, he's, you've got, like, the footage of the car driving to the Napoli Stadium for, like, his first day, uh, for, like, the announcement of him sort of, like, joining the team. And it's just, like, this fucking, like driving synthesizing <laughs> and, and then it's just like cutting to like scenes of him playing in Barcelona and stuff and it's like yeah it's it's just like it is just entertaining you from the start totally. which is but I think that's that's kind of part of the yeah. the, the, the story as well like this Maradona this guy, is an entertaining figure it, like. absolutely <laughs> so larger than life guys mm. this, this kind of drama that he puts into himself yeah. this like pious religious <laughs> kind of view that he has of himself and he thinks he's a mafia god yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. it's such a um, to me it was like portrait of the 80s mm. it was about the the master of the universe idea like yeah. reaganomics and stuff like that they, they were all these right, things like, were like swirling around and him. he is just like such an 80s figure with like with the excess and like Absolutely. the uh, and the showboating and 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 sort of like yeah this sort of e- the, the ego is just sort of like one of the most palpable ego like one of the most yeah. famous egos and the way that he uh, you know this is history but the film kind of puts it across it articulated it quite nicely as mm. the entire city and especially the young people in this like economically deprived yeah. city Na- Naples just relying on him as a figure he is well, their it's, salvation it's absolutely everything with that and I think that it is an interesting sort of narrative thread that it picks up because it's I think it was a really good move to sort of like it touches on things like Barcelona in his early career and it looks at his early life but the focus is on the six year period where he was playing for, for Naples and uh, as luck would have it that ties in with his two most famous World Cups <laughs> yeah <laughs> quite luckily and but with it is. his cocaine use and yeah exactly it's, it's his story yeah but this is like this six year period is sort of the defining period of Maradona is literally the rise and the fall of him like he's already a, a massive star but it's, so it's not like an origin story remotely it is like Maradona as an icon is established by the time he moves to Naples he moves to Naples because of his iconic status but it is like um Na- going to Naples which is a, 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 a club that is like always sort of like trailing in the league it's threatened with relegation constantly and it's sort of like it's putting everything on him and it's not even like got building a team around him it's just he has dropped into this team and then he fucking carries it the whole time <laughs> but it's like that is a narrative that sort of like plays through his life because it goes back to him at 15 being signed up for the junior team in Argentina and his family is like living in favelas and like mm-hmm. they're, they're in a really deprived area and then he is the reason they can move to a nice house and he is their sole source of income and so you sort of see how he has this belief in himself and he has this belief that he is a god and that like you know when, whenever they ask him like how, how did you manage to score that goal and he's like oh god willed it to happen <laughs> in the last minute or something like that um, but everything is put on him by other people and then you can see the corrupting influence of that and how he would sort of grow to believe it and sort of see himself as this yes. like this martyr figure that then like but it also sort of stunts his development so he's still 15 when we're catching up with him at 24 25 and like I, th- I think that that is it's a very neat narrative to like mm. 
the, the way that Capaglia weaves it, he, it's his, his standard style of using uh, found footage and yeah. archival footage and interviewing people. Yeah. And it, he, he it is an act of myth making, it, uh, just as much as Senna and Amy were. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but it's. I don't. I feel like for for a mainstream documentary, that's all that you needed. It yeah. does enough with it, and I think there's a amazing flash forward towards the end that reminded me of Raging Bull, <laughs> where suddenly you've got Maradona as this huge overweight dude who's kind of reckoning with with his past yeah. a little bit. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I think you can see you can see the manipulation, especially with mm. how Maradona himself, his voiceover is all over it. It's obviously authorized by him. It's sort of um, it's sort of all over it, but you see, it, he is never sort of made to really interrogate anything. And I think you can see, and it's sort of like um, I think you had to you had to jump out early. But when they do the Q and A with Capadia afterwards, he was saying how they only got a, a fairly limited amount of time with him, and it was sort of like they could barely warm him up to like to get to the stage where they're ready to talk about the intensive stuff. Yeah. So it's like he you'll get the odd sort of soundbite from him, and that thread does follow through the film, but the the more interesting stuff i think comes <clears throat> from sort of the well they're not talking heads because you never see anyone but like the voices of his trainer who follows him all the way through his career yeah. and his his now ex-wife who is like it turns out currently suing him <laughs> for damages oh, really? like, that wasn't in the yeah, film that wasn't that's not in the film yeah <laughs> but it's like right now she's suing him and she was at the time of the interviews where and so she obviously had a lot to say about him and it's like i guess that's what i mean i feel, feel like there's a lot <clears throat> even though that film is vast it feels epic yeah i still feel like there's a lot that we don't know yeah there's yeah, a yeah. lot of other stuff that might have really illuminated some more mm. and i and i I love the style of it. It's such a rush. And I thought, you know, as someone that didn't really know Maradona's story, yeah. that was a great primer on it. But yeah. I just wonder if there's like something else, some other level that it could have... Yeah, I, th I think it is that. It's it's the interesting thing compared to Senna and Amy. He's doing this one about a figure that's still alive. Like, the, yeah. the Maradona that is famous no longer exists. And it like, uh, Cavadia says as much, he's like, he thinks that when Maradona reaches his pinnacle at i think it's uh, the 86 world cup um that is when maradona the footballer sort of ceases to exist and then it's just all downhill from there yeah. and like everything he's done since has basically been like sort of riding the coattails of his legacy and that kind of thing like he sort of like does some coaching here and there and a bit of punditry and that yeah. kind of stuff but he is like a shadow now and he absolutely is. but um but i think uh, you know it's on on amy and senna both being completed stories, yeah. and they're both very neat kind of fables about fame. Yeah, they they the, the Amy story is like a classic tale. Yeah, a tragedy. Yeah, um, and I think that he's he's kind of given done the exact same approach here with Maradona mm. about a figure that's still alive, and so <laughs> there's just an element of like of manipulation. It's just a little bit. He's sort to of, me. it's just a little bit less yeah it's a little bit rougher and, and he and makes the an subject effort to tie it in a bow as well doesn't he in a way that maybe yeah. it doesn't it didn't need to be if if he was going to make something about Maradona while he was still alive it's like he sort of adds in at the end sort of the bit where he um he sort of admits to the paternity of this child that he has disowned for mm -hmm. his entire life that he had through an affair um and it sort of like caps off the film with that um 
when it's, it's no, it wasn't necessarily the most coherent thread through the whole thing. No. Um, but it's sort of there to serve as like a way to sort of give this film a conclusion, a reason to end, as opposed to like, I, I would have quite liked it, I think, if it would have just ended with like the Raging Bull style, like just <laughs> yeah. the, this pathetic fat dude on a talk show is sort of like, because even though he's like blubbing and he's like, and he's breaking down on this thing, he's still not, there's a tragedy to how he's still probably a little bit like, he still isn't emotionally mature enough to really grapple with it. And yeah. he's just he's just sort of like breaking down because he can't handle the emotion of what he's going through, uh, which I thought was sort of like a really interesting angle to take where it's like, it, and it is the thing that sticks with me all the way through. is like, <clears throat> he never grew up since he was sort of signed up to the junior squads yeah. when he was 15. Like he's, he's always, yeah, he's Peter Pan <laughs> trapped in, you know, Shrek's body or whatever. Donna <laughs> looks like these days. But all this is to say that like, you know, I, I've got reservations about it, but it's still a hard recommend for me. Yeah. Especially yeah, yeah. as a film that's going to be kind of everywhere. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cause it's, it's in cinemas. It's a great time. And, and I think that the, the flaws in it just means there's more to talk about with it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. And the flaws in it are sort of like they they stem from Maradona himself. Like it exactly. fe- it does feel sort of like very true to both because the, there's the whole thing in the film about the idea of and I think they sort of like they're playing it up in the marketing with like the two parts of his name being in different colors. It's this idea of like Diego is the private, gentle, yeah. uh, sort of like considerate, friendly, uh, and then you've got Maradona who's like the icon that the everyone God, knows. Yeah. Uh, and uh, sort of people saying like one day I stopped seeing Diego and Maradona was everywhere and you've got his trainer saying like I would go to the ends of the earth for Diego but I would leave Maradona sort of like festering on the, <laughs> on the pavement outside <laughs> and it's like yeah and, and so playing with that dichotomy is a really interesting way to do it and it feels quite true to that idea of Maradona and sort of like those complexities that he plays with and like the the way that he sort of has the and it's also a thesis that he completely rejects which I feel like is also quite true to him as well like he is he had that put to him by uh, by Capita when he uh, when he uh, did the um, did the interviews and he was just like no no I don't buy that and they were like but literally everyone that we've spoken to has said that that's what they saw and he's just like no I'm always me I'm always me uh, and it's uh, and so yeah I thought it was quite interesting that um, that the film stays true to that as well it sort of like keeps an eye on these two sides of of this right. man. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'm also sort of hard recommend it's very sort of mainstream blockbuster entertaining documentary filmmaking. I had a, I had a fantastic time with it. Yeah. It was a really good choice as yeah. the opening night, I think. I think so. Um, yeah. I don't, yeah. I don't think you could have opened with something like Four Samurai or something. Oh God, no, <laughs> no, it's, 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 um, yeah, it's a hype movie. Yeah. Um, I want to give a shout to Hey Bro, Russian documentary that I saw. I can't remember the name of the dude who made it but he just shot it himself he just follows around these two uh, mm. rappers uh, well I guess they're, they're basically just two 18 year old kids <laughs> who go on a debauched holiday to Crimea um, and it is uh, I found it incredibly troubling mm. uh, with the way that these two guys um, constantly hit on and treat women throughout the film um, uh, they're, they're kind of trying to live a sort of little pump trap Travis Scott kind of life and that all that yeah, music's yeah, kind of yeah, plastered yeah. all over it um, and the film is kind of shot in a way that is reminiscent of the Cole Bennett music videos and stuff mm-hmm. um, and I I found it difficult to work out at what point we're supposed to sympathise and when we're supposed to uh, or when the the film is is um, is the film in judgement of these guys uh, but then the high style of it yeah. was so kind of um makes you lean into the, the lifestyle yourself mm. uh, and, and I found it really difficult to, to work out especially in you know there's, there's a sequence where um, 
you know, they're picking up sex workers um, and treating them quite badly. Mm. Um, and the camera kind of lingers on them in a, in a way that I wasn't sure that... So why is sort of treating like the set dressing up like a, a music video or something like yeah, that? Right? Yeah, basically. Um, but they're not even they're not hired people in a music video they're like yeah. just women on the street who they these guys won't leave alone kind yeah, of thing yeah, yeah, yeah. um and I, I found it so powerful and these guys are so compelling mm. um and yeah charismatic and really funny but you know you just see them picking fights on like random people in the street yeah yeah punching people it's it's horrible mm. and it kind of has this weird non-conclusion where at one point at some point it just stops the film literally just ends. Okay. And it's yeah. as if the fucking home home video reel just like runs just out. Ran out of tape. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in a way it's 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 kind of the best movie I've seen here because because nothing else has kind of had my synapses trying to figure out yeah. what it was saying as yeah. much. I get you um, on that. And I'm you know, I'm, i like the music and stuff as well. So <laughs> um and, and yeah, and and afterwards I found it interesting because the Q and A they were talking about or the or the guy was trying to ask Oh, um, are they, you know, fighting against Putin's regime? But mm. in their actions, are they like real punks? Are they? Yeah, yeah, do yeah. they have like political ideology or whatever? And it's like, no, no. These are just like kids. these are literally just kids getting fucked. And like to read into it in any other way, mm. it seems wrong. But also to me, it was a portrait of of a Putin Russia that is just hedonistic and in which you can just do anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so for all this idea of it as being a repressed state is it actually just anarchy? Mm. Um, I know you haven't seen the film. No, so I these questions. But it's like a lot of the things you were saying about it did put me in mind of like, say, mid-90s, which came out in the UK earlier this year and that kind of thing, right? It's sort of like it's treading the, these lines where you're wondering if they are critiquing or glorifying the, these sort of ways of life. So, yeah. And, and this sort of, I guess, I guess it's that whole idea because it, 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 it chimes with me, like what you've been saying about it. It is about sort of like male friendship and camaraderie and what, men or young or young men specifically build their friendships around which is often sort of hip-hop and like soundcloud rap culture or like yeah. skating or drinking or whatever and they sort of like build friendships out of these shared interests and there's sort of then there is value in that obviously but it is like it's the idea of like how do you sort of critique them when they are going too far and when they're the attitudes that that fosters are sort of emanating outwards and impacting on other people and that kind of thing and it's like I'd be interested to see it definitely. I don't know if it's on like the online player. I think I think you can get it on there. Yeah. I don't know what kind of release it's going to have because it's so low budget. Yeah. Um. I yeah. It's the kind of thing I wouldn't be surprised if it's just on Vimeo at some point. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But it's a festival movie. Um. Yeah. I I, I was. I, yeah. I was quite moved by it. Okay. Um. But I don't know if I should have been. You know? <laughs> um. But I, maybe I like that. Uh, did, did you have a recommendation of a film? Um, let me take a quick flip through my schedule and I'll let you know. Um, so I guess there's a couple that I saw that I that I did really like. So uh, I mentioned earlier about The Sound is Innocent, which was really fun. I have to admit I fell asleep for about 10 minutes of it, but it was in the middle of this like very long sequence <laughs> of just sort of like ambient, atonal, like synthesizers sort of wailing at you. And it's like it's very inducive to just relaxing and falling into it. And I probably dreamt of the music as I was sleeping or something like that. Uh, but one that I did see that was like, was my first, my first tears of the festival was uh, this Japanese film called Nori, which is uh, a Nori of the title is the mother of the director who died when he was quite young. He sort of remembers her, but her, his sister sort of has no memories whatsoever of her. And what he does is he, um, he takes his father 
on this sort of it's sort of like a bit of a travel log over over the course of the film where they go to the different parts of Japan that his father and his mother lived in when they were a young couple and they were growing up together and they got married um, and they're all places that his father hasn't visited since his mother died and it's it because it's an interesting because it's not like his dad has like fully repressed the memory of his mother but it's one of those sort of like Japanese cultural things where they don't really talk about it. and his dad had to be strong because he was a single father with two kids and that kind of thing um, and it's sort of shot really beautifully even though like I say it was it did suffer from being on one of these screens at the light cinema in uh, where it's sort of like it was a little bit too big for it it would suit a slight it would have suited the showroom quite well I think right um, and being somewhere a little bit more modest but like it's it's shot very beautifully there's lots of amazing sort of like panoramas of just rural Japan and that kind of thing which are amazing uh, and it's sort of like centered around this final conversation that he has with his father and they're just in like a sushi bar or something they're just chomping away on like sashimi or something like that and his dad's like nervously sipping this beer and sort of out of nowhere this quite stoic man who has sort of like been he's been talking really affectionately about the mother for this whole film and like sort of like and they've been going and seeing people that he hasn't seen for years that were part of their lives when they were a young couple and that kind of thing all these old friends that have new memories and that kind of thing and he like something just snaps and he just sort of breaks down and he's and then he sort of like pours out all these fe- these feelings that he later admits like he wouldn't have told his son if if they weren't making the film like all of this right. has come out as a result of it and it is sort of really powerful and sort of really without her ever so because there's no like video footage of the mother there's the odd photo in there but it really builds this portrait of like the kind of woman that she was and the kind of influence that she had on all these people because it sounds like she was very sort of independent and outgoing like even after she got married she used to like go traveling to like the middle east by herself and that kind of thing and like she always wanted to take the director when he was a baby with her but like they wouldn't let her put him in a backpack and stuff like that and it's like uh and so as a sort of like a piece of sort of like oral storytelling like sort of like this this shared history that they all have and that like all these different people sort of building this portrait of this woman uh it's sort of really sort of powerfully done and it's fair it's a really sort of nice confrontation with death because i think it's it's one of the things that japan does so well is like it is so sort of open about death as sort of a natural process and they they sort of they don't sort of shy away from it and they they don't quite celebrate it but they recognize it and they contend with it in the run-up to and the aftermath of it happening in a way that like there were a few people in the q a who sort of questioned there's one scene where they're interviewing someone who knew his mother um and this this person her i think it's her father is sort of in bed with like feeding tubes and like a breathing pump and stuff and you can sort of hear it in the background the whole time uh, and then he chooses to cut in to sort of show like this is the weird sounds you've been hearing it's this dying man in bed uh, and there was a <laughs> there was a very speak to the manager type woman at the Q&A was like why did you feel the need to put that in there that was horrible and he was just like it is it is life and death is part of life and uh, I needed to cut in otherwise you would have wondered what the weird distracting noises were and she was like you could have taken her somewhere and he was like why why would I sort of construct a situation yeah, yeah. Uh, otherwise? And I thought that that was what was quite powerful about it. And it puts me in mind of this one that I think is doing a bit of a tour around the UK soon, a British film that I saw at LFF last year uh, called Irene's Ghost, which sort of is quite, uh, a, quite a similar subject matter about sort of contending with the memory of a woman who's sort of been dead for a long time. And that one looks more like sort of English repression and how people seem to have like obscured their memories and don't remember it very well. But they sort of do work quite well as companion pieces. So, um, but I, I, yeah. I think this question that you've just raised about, uh, mm. you know, construction in scenes. Yeah. And I, and I like documentary that forces me to contend with 
um, what is a constructed narrative and what is true and what yeah, isn't yeah. true. Um, and I mean, I, I've kind of approached the festival in a, a bit of a slapdash manner and just kind of picked <laughs> things as and when, as what I feel like. Uh-huh. But I don't think I've seen much that has really made me, that's forced me to... To sort con- of contend with that. To yeah, I, th- I think the biggest one was... It's something like uh, "Don't be a dick about it" with the with the way that that was so smoothly edited and put together. But even yeah. that isn't doing wasn't doing that as a everything as felt a, authentic within "Don't be a dick about it." Definitely, there was one that I watched called "Property," which felt a lot. But there were there was a lot more of it that was sort of quite purposefully constructed and was a lot more sort of like purposeful filmmaking. There's a lot of scenes where you're just like they definitely didn't have the camera running when that happened. They've definitely already experienced this and been like, okay, let's shoot what we just did again just right uh and there's sort of like things where you know that they've sort of noticed something's happening and rushed to get the camera set up and then put themselves in front of the camera to react emotionally to it and it's sort of like that one sort of like works for me on an aesthetic level but because of that did sort of rob it of its um sort of any resonance with me at all and Mm -hmm. that kind of thing so I, i think it is an interesting one to contend with and it's why sort of for summer is probably the one that's going to resonate with me the most because everything in there is like absolutely not constructed it's sort of absolutely you can tell that it's sort of like been filmed in the midst of chaos yeah. and like the all, all that they've done is like distilled the footage down from like what I imagine is like an, an unimaginable number of horrible and striking images that, that she captured while she was living there. And it's like, yeah. I think my experience with films here has reminded me a little bit of uh, in Rotterdam, mm. the, the IFFR there, where um, rather than a lot of stuff feeling like a complete kind of, package it these are the kind of festival movies that maybe reach for a couple of things yeah. maybe are just kind of experimental or playing and that's that's as much as they do rather than uh being films that really seem like they're going to have a huge life beyond like a life beyond the festival beyond the yeah. festival circuit no i get that um, and i think there's a value in that while you're at film festivals absolutely. Like it, no, it's, yeah, yeah. it's such a privilege to be here among that kind of stuff and that i think there are gems that you see where it's like you know that they're not going to go anywhere else and you might not get a chance to ever see them again yeah. which can be quite sad but it is what makes them it's what makes them special and it's why i'm so happy that something like docfest is so open to the public as well because yeah. it means that if someone wants to buy a pass that can get them into 10 films then they can get that experience as well it's not just like sort of filed like sort of like hidden away for the press to go and enjoy this sort of like smorgasbord of like offerings like it is sort of done in a way that anyone can do that and And i would say as well that in terms of uh the crowd it's a lot more accessible in Mm. that uh there doesn't feel like there's a hierarchy particularly uh everyone sort of seems to hang around the same areas and you can kind of talk to anyone everyone's up for a chat and and it's so international as you mentioned earlier Mm. that it kind of creates that sort of space even if you're not in the film industry if you're just going to see some movies like mm. you can you can chat to people yeah, and learn so much there, definitely um, yeah. and yeah i've had plenty of conversations on my way out of screens with just like random people and you're like and and, and like you're sort of falling into the trap of like oh where are you from who do you work for and they're like um i work at the bakers down the road yeah, like yeah. what are you talking about <laughs> like I, I work i work at like uh, i work at the garage the only <laughs> screening that i found wasn't friendly like that right was the uh the, the two um short films that i watched yesterday right that everyone in the crowd was just german it was like just german <laughs> oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> i know i went in I was, this crowd is just intense like man buns and big beards <laughs> And, uh, you know, sharp haircuts everywhere. That could just be Sheffields, to be fair. There's there's a good contingent of that. I assume that. And then I kind of realised there's no, it's just German being spoken (laughs) in this room. And I was like, the films weren't even German. So I just didn't understand. (laughs) Um, But 
you know, no, nothing against German people. I, 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 I love it. I love a German. It was just a, a you love a German. Mm, you do. Maybe. You really do. Uh, <laughs> well, okay. On that. On that note. On that note. Uh, thanks so much for coming on. We're gonna go and watch some more movies now. Yeah, we've um, got a couple more before we yeah. head back to uh, to to lovely, lovely London. <laughs> uh, oh, where can people God. find you? You and your work. Um, so I'm all over the place usually. Like I, I do quite a bit for Wandering with a View. But while I'm at Docfest, I am writing. I'm doing some rolling coverage for Cineview. I'm gonna have a few reviews on that, and then later in the week I will have a uh, sort of like a roundup of the British premieres on Sight and Sound so that should be good as Amazing. well um, but yeah I'll, I'll just be about I'm on, I'm on Twitter and all that stuff so you can what find was your me. handle uh, I'm Reese Handley 2113 uh, and that's R-H-Y-S Welsh Styley um, but... <laughs> <laughs> Handley Styley exactly uh, well thanks for, for joining us again Again, always Again. a pleasure. I need to come on one of the full ones at some point. Yeah, definitely. definitely. We've got to get you on a 99 project, Sounds I think. Um, and thanks for listening, guys. Uh, you can uh, find all of our back catalogue on Stitcher, uh, Apple Podcasts, mm. uh, you know, on, on all the apps. Uh, you can also follow us at Judge Movie Pod on uh, Twitter and Instagram and email us, judgemoviepodcast at gmail.com with thoughts, comments, hate, uh, suggestions um and please check out the wordpress for show notes um a lot of bad movies out there so stay safe that's my um that's been decided as the uh the the sign off that's the